Father, we love you and Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for never giving up on us. Father, we thank you that no matter how much we've rebelled against you from the very beginning all the way to today and into the future, Father, you've never, never abandoned us. You've never given up on us. You have showed us and, 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 and spoke to us and told us how to have a relationship with you, what it is that separates us from you, and, and how we can be reunited with you. Father, you've given us so much of your word. And so, Father, as we close up the Old Testament today and, 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 and preach the, my last sermon this year on it, Father, I pray that you'll continue to, to shape us by it, mold us by it, and uh, apply it to our lives and hearts in a way that, that we can live it out. We love you, Father. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So we have been journeying through the Bible this year. goal is to get from genera- gener- generation, Genesis to Revelation um, in one calendar year, which is a very difficult task for someone like me who likes to go very slow, take our time, stretch things out. So you'll know, of course, you know, it's too much to cover. We didn't cover all the books, but we've kind of covered the the story. We've covered the storyline, the, the main points, the kind of the progression. And so we're going to be wrapping up the Old Testament today, and then we'll be jumping into the New Testament next week. Um, I chose Malachi, which is the last book in our Old Testament. Um, it's not the exact same order that, that Jesus and the disciples would have looked at the, the Torah and how they would have had it um, organized. The First and Second Chronicles was the last um, in their Torah. Um, but it is last in, in, in our Old Testament, and it's for a reason, because it talks about, it's, it, Malachi was the last prophet um, before that 400-year silence. So a little bit of a timeline. From Adam to Moses, um, we don't really know. I'm just going to give you a round ballpark of about 3,000-year time frame from Adam to Moses. It may have been closer to 2,500. It may have been closer to... to 3,500, and you say, well, that's a huge difference. I know, but, but, but let's just give a general ballpark of about 3,000 years from Adam to Moses. And then from Moses to Jesus was approximately 1,400 years. Um, I, I kind of go with the 1446 year with the Exodus. Some people choose a 1,200-year Exodus. It doesn't really matter. That's not the discussion today. But 1,000 years from Moses to Malachi. And that's what I want you to realize. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, written by Moses. And so Moses wrote Genesis through Deuteronomy, but from Moses through Malachi was about a thousand-year span of different prophets who spoke by God and gave us these prophecies and gave us these words and gave us these writings that they wrote down. That's how we have the word inspired by God. A thousand-year time period is what we're stretching across the Old Testament. That's a long time. It's been 2,000 years from Christ to us. We know that's a long time. And so it just, it's kind of, I don't really want to jump too far ahead because it's uh, what we'll be talking about next week. But this idea that so many different people over such a long period of time wrote the Scriptures, gave us the Scriptures by God's Word, and it all came true and it all came in fulfillment in one person, Jesus And this time period that Malachi ends, from Malachi to Jesus, is about 400 years. So what we're Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament. From Malachi until Jesus, there were no prophets until John the Baptist. 400 year span. 
God's Word is amazing. And it's because of the prophets that we have so much confidence that His Word is true. Because nobody could have made this up. Nobody could have worked with different people in different lifetimes and different languages to make all this up, that it would all come true. The fact that it came true gives us confidence that it really was and is the Word of God and not the words of man. Malachi's book, I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up. It's depressing. Yeah? A lot of the Old Testament is depressing. A lot of the Old Testament is prophets condemning and, and rebuking the people and God telling them to turn back, turn back, repent, turn back, repent, turn back. And it's no different with Malachi. So our sermon, of course, is going to have a, a, a kind of a somber and, and, and depressing tone. But it's important that we learn from the prophets. It's important that we learn from our history. That's why the New Testament said that we have all, everything that was written down was written down for our instruction. And so because it's for our instruction, we are to learn from it. Malachi um, was a prophet during the days of, of Ezra and Nehemiah. So we just finished Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra comes back, starts the rebuilding of the temple. Nehemiah comes back, the rebuilding of the walls. So now, so now Jerusalem has uh, uh, the temple rebuilt, the walls rebuilt, the, the gates up. And so now they're, they're, they're fortified people. Nehemiah goes back to Artaxerxes, and then he spends some time away. He hears reports about how the people abandoned the, the um, following God faithfully again. Nehemiah comes back. He rebukes them. And we believe that it was during this time period of the people falling away again that we read uh, uh, Malachi, Malachi in that time period rebuking the people. The first thing that Malachi teaches us is that God will not accept improper sacrifices from people whose hearts are far from him. And that's really important for us to know. Let's read Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 6. A son honors his father. This is God speaking. A son honors his father and a servant his master. But if I'm a father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where is your fear of me? says the Lord of armies to you priests who despise my name. Yet you ask, how have we despised your name? By presenting defiled food on my altar. How have we defiled you, you ask, when you say the Lord's table is contemptible? When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor, God says. Look, you're bringing these sacrifices to me. Take these lambs. Take these, these things that you're bringing. Bring them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Asked the Lord of armies. And now, plead for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us? Since this has come from your hands, will he show any of you favor? Asked the Lord of armies. I wish, this is, this is probably one of the harshest rebukes here, I wish one of you shut the temple doors so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising of the sun to its setting. Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord 
of armies. Here is the Old Testament. Temple set up, priests set up, they're, they're offering sacrifices. People are bringing their sacrifices to the priests. The priests are offering these sacrifices to God. And here is God rebuking the priests and saying, Honestly, I wish somebody would just shut the doors. I wish you would stop making sacrifices to me. Because in God's words, they're useless. They do you no good. They're not atoning for your sins. You're not being washed by the blood of these animals. It's no good. And your question is, why? Well, he said in there, you know, you're bringing me useless, you're bringing me blind animals. You're bringing me lame animals. You know, God's, God's instruction in the Mosaic Law was you bring me the best of your animals. You bring me the best. You don't, you don't, you don't bring me lame and blind animals, the worst. You bring me the best. And, and he rebukes him by saying, would your governor accept these? If you were to bring a, a, an offering to your governor and you brought a lame or a blind lamb to your governor, would he, would he be pleased? You know he wouldn't. And what's sad, God's saying is, you wouldn't do that for your governor, but you would do that for me. And so, you know, I, I don't want to step on any toes, although I tend to do it a lot. I'm, keep in mind, I'm stepping on my own toes when I say this. But oftentimes, we'll find ourselves in condition, positions where we're not thinking it through, we're not, you know, really trying to say it. But what we'll do is we'll live better act better, be more righteous in front of people than we will in front of our God. You know, when, when the pastor comes around, I'm, I'm on my, my uh, what's the phrase? P's and Q's, you know? I'm on my best behavior. You know, and, 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 and don't act like it's not true, trust me, because, you know, I used to not be a pastor. I know, I, know, I know exactly how it works. It's the pastor's coming, so y'all better clean it up. Y'all better, you know, act right and, 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 and be right. And the thing is, and, and, and I, you know, it's funny when I have conversations with people because most people have, just do not assume I'm a pastor. So when I meet somebody I don't know, that's the last thing on their mind. It's amazing to watch their behavior radically change as soon as it comes up. Well, what do you do? I'm a pastor. <clears throat> The way they talk changes, the way they act changes, and then they just start talking about church and all this. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, it's humorous to a point, but it's true. There's something in us that when somebody's around, a pastor, a deacon, a church member, whoever it is, when somebody comes around, we're going we're gonna to be extra, make sure we're, we're, we're really making sure we're not doing anything wrong. But then when they're not around and it's us and God, then we let our guard down, you know. We don't, we, don't, we don't treat God in our presence the same as we treat other people in our presence. And I think that's a rebuke of the priests, but I think that's just as applicable a rebuke of us today, you know. And I'm included, but every one of us is guilty of this, where when, when other people come around, we act better than when they're not around. And the truth is, when you say act better, really what you're saying is you're acting the way God wants you to. The way that we should be acting all the time, no matter what, living our life for God, period. When it's just us in the closet, nobody around, nobody can see us, we should be living our life to please God, not to please other people. Um, but the remarkable thing about this rebuke that God gives is He literally gives the rebuke 
that your offerings that I commanded you to do, when I commanded you to give offerings to me for your sins, God, in essence, says they're useless. In other words, I'm not, for, I'm not forgiving your sins because you perform these sacrifices. It's not, it's not going to happen. Why? Because your heart is far from me. Your heart is far from me. We'll get to that in just a second. He goes on to say, take it to heart. And this is, I'm not just pulling this out of context. If you jump to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he said, Therefore, this decree is for you priests. If you don't listen, and if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of armies, I will send a curse among you, and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I have already begun to curse them because you are not taking it to heart. One of the jobs of the priests was to bless. You know, he would, he would pronounce blessings. He was commanded how to pronounce blessings in the Old Testament. He was to pronounce, perform sacrifices to God and, and pronounce blessings. And what God is saying, your blessings aren't going to work. I'm actually, I'm, I'm not giving blessings. I'm actually giving curses. Even though your lips are saying that I'm going to give blessings and I'm going to bless this, I'm not. Unless you actually turn to me with your heart, unless you actually take it to heart to honor my name, to honor me from your heart, unless you do that, everything you say, all your lip service, doesn't mean anything. It's meaningless. And you've heard it a thousand times. You can go to church every Sunday. It's not going to get you anything. You know? You can come to church every Sunday. You can, you, can, you can do everything that you're supposed to do. But if your heart is not devoted to honoring God, none of it counts. It, it will get you nowhere. It doesn't matter. God cares about what's real. God cares about your heart. He doesn't want a servant. He wants a child. He doesn't want somebody just to do the things that everybody should do anyways. He wants somebody who loves him, who's in love with him, because he loves you and he's in love with you. Jesus said the same thing, quoting Isaiah. Jesus answered them in Mark 7, verse 6, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So, Jesus quoted Isaiah, so let's read Isaiah. Isaiah 29, 13, the verse that Jesus quoted, says this, The Lord said, These people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me, and human rules direct their worship of me. And there is Isaiah's rebuke of the people, that their worship of me is they're following human rules. They're directed by human rules. I'm going to do this and do this and do this because this is what we're supposed to do. These are the rules. This is what we're supposed to do. He said, but their hearts are far from me. It's just lip service. They don't mean it. If they meant it, they would love me. If they meant it, they would obey me. But it's just lip service. It's more for other people than it is for me. Or it could be more for themselves than it is for me. We've talked about that a lot. A lot of people just want to feel or be reassured, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I just want to know that I'm okay. I don't really desire a relationship with God. 
I, I really don't. I really don't want him to tell me how to live what I can and can't do. I really don't. When somebody starts to tell me what God has said about the way I'm living, I don't want to hear it. I'm going to tell you, you need, you need to quit judging me. You need to back off. You need to go somewhere else with that. Because I have no real desire in me to actually live for God. I have no real desire for, in me to really love God with all my heart. And therefore, I'm not convicted by my sins. I push back. That, see, that's, that's the key. When a brother or sister who cares about us comes to us with what God has said, and says, what you're doing is sinful. Are we convicted? Are we convicted by the Word? Because if our heart is for God, if our heart is after God, we'll be convicted. We'll, 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 we'll say, man, I really don't want to sin against my God. It's hard, and, and I'm going to work at this, and I'm going to try, but, but I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit about it. But if somebody comes to us and shows us this is what the Word says, and all we do is return in anger and say, I don't care. I could care less. You need, to, you need to leave me alone. Back off. That's not conviction. That should tell you right away my heart is in the wrong place. My heart is about me and what I want to do. It's not about God and what pleases Him and what makes Him proud and what makes Him happy. Because if you love someone like God is asking you to love them, God said, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you love someone like, like that, think of somebody you love like that. It's not, I, I can't imagine a single person in here that can't think of somebody that they, didn't, they don't love. Think of someone you love. If you knew you were hurting them and they told you, is your natural response just to be angry at them or is it to be convicted that you've hurt them? And that's what God is saying. You know, our sin is what Jesus had to die for. Our sin is what Jesus had to come to earth, suffer, and die on a cross for. So our sin is hurtful to God. It's mistreating Him. It's not treating Him the way we should be treating Him. So we should be convicted by the Spirit about our sin and repent and turn. And that's what, Malachi, that's what God's trying to do with Malachi to the people. He's trying to tell them... This is what you're doing wrong. This is how you're sinning against me. Your heart is not after me. Your heart is not for me. And he's trying to get them to turn back to him. He warns them that a day of judgment is coming, the day of the Lord. He says in Malachi chapter, start, chapter 3, starting in verse 1, he says, See, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and like launderer's bleach. He will be like a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in days of old and years gone by. And he's telling them, if you will make sacrifices from your heart, meaningful sacrifices, then they will please God. They will please God just like in the days gone by when they used to please God. I will come to you in judgment, he says, and I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow, 
and the fatherless and against those who deny justice to the resident alien. They do not fear me, says the Lord of armies, because I, the Lord, have not changed. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. He said, if you will turn to me, I will return to you, said the Lord. There is a day coming when I will judge all the earth, everyone, and I'm warning you, I'm letting you know ahead of time because I want you to escape that judgment. I want you to turn from sin and turn to me and I'll forgive you and I'll bless you and and, and I'll wipe your slate clean. I don't want you to face that judgment, but I am a holy God and I will not, not give justice. But I have provided a way for you to be forgiven. Please turn. Please return to me. He says, since the day of your fathers, you have, tur- you have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Return to me, and I will return to you. It's a choice. And we're all given a choice. The question is, are we going to make it? Are we willing to make it? Are we willing to turn from sin to turn to God? It's a choice everybody has to make. Yet you ask, how can we return? He says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions, tithes and offerings. You're not making your payments of the tenths and contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Jesus is, I mean, God is saying the same thing. He said, if you return to me, I will return to you. If you return to me with all your heart and devotion and and give give yourself to me, I will give myself to you. I will return to you. I will pour out blessings that you can't even imagine. But you have to trust me. You have to trust me, God says. You don't trust me. You don't love me. You're not offering out of your heart. You're not offering because of your love for me. He said, test me and I I will prove myself to be faithful. I will rebuke the devourer from you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. Your words against me are harsh, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements? and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies. So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. And so the people have taken a mindset of, it does me no good to worship God. What, you know, what has he done for me? Why should I do anything for him? What has he done for me? I don't see a blessing. I don't see, I don't see a fulfillment of all these things. Why should I serve God? Why should I worship him? And that, I, I hate to say it, but that is possibly the predominant view in this country now. You know, we have moved far from where we used to be. In 19, well, I don't want to get into too much history, but 
you know, in the 1950s, we, we put our a national motto, in God we trust. In God we trust. Not happening today. Not going to happen. I don't care what party goes into office. We are far removed from where we used to be. A nation where people used to be a nation where people, even if they knew they were, were doing wrong, even if they knew that they weren't following God, they still at least believed there was a God. You know, it wasn't uncommon for, to hear somebody say, I know I'm going to hell. Why? Because they still believed there was a God, even if they knew they were not going to follow Him. Yet we've moved so far beyond that now. Our youngest generation now is taught and, and indoctrinated and convinced there is no God. There is no God. I mean, they are convinced. And this is the mindset that they take. Why should I worship Him? What's He going to do for me? Why should I worship Him? They don't know what He's already done for them. They don't know. They don't know the gospel. They haven't ha heard a clear gospel message. They don't know that He gave His life for them because of His love for them. They don't know. Malachi goes on to talk about a book of remembrance. He starts to give the people hope. He says, At that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and had high regard for his name. Even during this time, when the nation had turned their back on God again, God said, there are still those faithful ones, and I know every one of their names. There's still some who have given their heart to me, and I know them by name. And I've written their names down in a book of remembrance. Those who feared me and have high regard for my name, their names are written in a book. Does that sound familiar? The book of life. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Philippians 4.3 Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. This was written to the Philippian believers. That their names were currently written in the book of life. And if you have placed your faith in Christ, if you have given your life in honor to God, your name is also written in a book of life. Why is that so important? I can tell you why. Revelation 3, 5, In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. When your name is written in the book of life, Jesus will never erase your name from that book. What that, maybe none of you have struggled with this, but some people have. This idea of what about when we go to heaven and God makes everything perfect, okay? What if we sin then? 
could we lose, could we get kicked out of heaven then? Like, I know it's eternal life, but is it, like, are we guaranteed to stay there? Is there still a possibility that one day, way down the road, we might get kicked out? Now, none of y'all have ever wrestled with this, with, or told me that you've wrestled with this, but, but some people have wondered. But right here it says, I will never, I'll never, I'll never erase your name out of the book of life. Revelation 13, 8, all those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. God already knows before He ever started this whole thing, He knew who was going to give their life to Him and who wasn't. He knew who was going to place their faith in Jesus and who wasn't. He knew before it ever got started. He went ahead and wrote the book. The book has already been written. Unfortunately for us, we're not omniscient like God, which is probably a good thing. I, I, I mean, my mind would, I, I would just, that would be awful. <laughs> it would. We don't know whose name's written and whose is not yet. But if you place your faith in Christ and you love Him from your heart, you can. You can. I can stand up here and say, I know. I'm not sure about it. I'm not confident about it. I know. I know my name is written in the book of life. I know. And you can have that same assurance. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from God's Word. You can have that same assurance. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw, and here's, here's where it comes down. This is why having your name written in that book is so important. This is what it boils down to at the judgment. This is the judgment. This is why it's so important to have your name in that book. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. You know, God said he's going to destroy the earth and the heavens. In, in First, Second Peter, I can't remember which one, he says, Second Peter, I think, but he says that the next time he destroys everything, it'll, it'll all dissolve from the heat. It'll all be destroyed with fire. The heavens and the earth. So here it is. Heavens and the earth fled from his presence. No place found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Multiple books were opened. Another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. So everybody who's going to stand before the great white throne, there will be books opened, and there will be a book that is going to have recorded all of your works in your life. And people have wondered, what's it going to be like to go, you know, are we really going to go through my whole life? Like, are we really going to do that? We're really going to do that. It's right here. There will be a book opened, and all the things you do are written in it. And you say, well, we've upgraded. We have TV now. I think it will be a movie. Okay, well, if the book is put up as caption, whatever, I, it doesn't matter. 
Everything you do will be written in a book, and that book will be opened before you. And all your deeds are going to be read from that book. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. What's this mean? Everybody's going to be judged by everything you do, and what's the result going to be? You're going to be found innocent or guilty? Guilty. Across the board. Everybody. Those who place their faith in Christ, those who don't place their faith in Christ. Everyone's going to be found guilty. But it doesn't stop there. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. See, there's no exceptions here. There wasn't anyone whose name who wasn't written in the book of life or who lived a really good life. There's no exceptions. That's how we know that according to the law, according to the Word of God, that one sin, the wages of that sin, is death. All people will be found guilty of sin. The Scripture says, there are none who have not sinned. Everyone has sinned. Everyone. We will all be found guilty of sin. But there will be another book. Another book. And if your name is written in that book, you will not be condemned to hell. You won't. You will not be thrown into the lake of fire. You will get to spend eternity with God in heaven forever. So one, it should concern us that everything we do will be revealed at the day of judgment. That should concern us. Why? Because we want to please our Father. Do we not? A couple of analogies I could give you. What if you knew that somebody was going to implant a, a recording device in your brain? We're not that far from it, honestly. And it would record all your thoughts and everything you do. And then it would be removed and broadcast on national television. And everybody's glued into this station. Like everybody wants to watch it. <laughs> Okay, this is better than any show anybody's ever watched. Everybody's just sucked into this station. So you know all your friends, all your family, everybody you respect, everybody you care about, everybody you think anything about, they're going to see all your thoughts. They're going to see all your actions, everything you do. Does that scare you? But here we've been told, that's exactly what's going to happen. Everything you do is going to be written in a book and it's going to be read and you're going to realize you're guilty. We're all... Uh, the Scripture says that every mouth will be silent. Nobody's going to... Why is every mouth going to be silent? Because every one of us is going to realize we are guilty. I don't deserve to spend eternity with a holy God who's never sinned, who is perfect and loving and, and just righteous and holy. I don't deserve to spend eternity with Him because look at my life. Look what I've done. But we're going to fall on our knees and cry and love Him and embrace Him and thank Him forever because He's going to say, I forgive you. If you love me, I forgive you because I've always loved you. 
I forgive you. And I'm going to give you all this stuff you don't deserve. I'm going to give you life eternal with me that you don't deserve. I'm going to give you a perfect life with no sin, no, no pain, no problems, no, no suffering, no arguments, no nothing forever that you don't deserve because I love you. And all I'm asking is that you love me from your heart. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command to follow? What is the greatest commandment to follow? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love Him. Because if you read this Old Testament, even the Old Testament priests, even their sacrifices didn't count if they didn't love Him. Even their sacrifices were useless if it wasn't from the heart. And that's all God wants is your heart. He wants you. He wants the real you to deep down inside to say, I love you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I want you. That's what God's asking for. A real relationship. Not meaningless service. A real relationship. Let's close our our eyes and pray. Father, we thank you that you have told us how we can be made right with you. We thank you that you have just spelled it out clear as day. That we know that there is no amount of work that we can do to earn your favor. We can't do enough good things at the end of the day to earn our place in the book of life. You've told us even when we do the things you've asked us to do, if we don't do it from your heart, it's just lip service. That's what you said. It's just lip service. It's meaningless. It's useless. Father, I'm asking you to give us a new heart. Father, give us hearts that yearn for you, that desire you, that that, that want to, to, to please you, to live for you. Because that's what we want for all of eternity is, is you. For all of eternity. Father, help us examine ourselves to see whether or not we've really given our hearts to you or if we're just banking on or counting on something that somebody told us, if you do this and you do this and you do this, you're good. Father, we know we're not good. We know we can't be good. Father, we know that there's nothing hidden from you. And it's all written in in, in your books. And so, Father, we just beg for mercy. We just beg for forgiveness. That you would have mercy and compassion on us. And, Father, we read your word. And even though we can't understand how it is you love us so much, we believe it because you've said it. You've told us you love us. You've told us that you've loved us so much that instead of abandoning us and getting rid of us, that you came, put on human flesh, lived a perfect life for us, died at the hands of us, were crucified, and took on the wrath of God that we were supposed to take as sinners. You took it on yourself for our behalf. And so, Father, we we can never, ever thank you enough. We can never thank you enough for your love for us. Father, I pray that we... As, as a people in this building, as a church, that we would unite our hearts and unite ourselves to your service, to, 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 to follow you, to live for you, to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. 
to see a glimpse of, of what you intended life to be like, to see it here on this earth and to see it spread. Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you. Father, forgive us. Father, unify us, knit us together. And Father, move us forward in your kingdom to see your kingdom on this earth the way you want to see it on this earth. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I'm so glad y'all made it here today. I'm so glad to, to enjoy this worship service time with y'all. Um, I pray that we look at, at, at the history of the Old Testament and, and the people of God and that every single thing that we hear God speaking to them, that we always examine ourselves and, and ask ourselves, am I guilty of the same thing? You know, the context is different. The, the temple worship service is different. But, but the heart of the matter, the, the heart of what God is asking of them, am, am I guilty of the same thing? Am I, am I doing what God has asked them to do? Am I doing that too? And so I, I think the, the summary of today's message is if you're, if you're not doing it from your heart, if you're worshiping God for the wrong reason, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. But if you're worshiping Him from your heart, you can, don't have to worry about that book that has been written with all those things in it that He's going to say, but good for you, your name is in the other book. You are forgiven because I love you. And you made a decision to love me from your heart. And that's what I, I beg and plead that we all do is ask ourselves, have we made a decision to love God from our heart? Is it real? Do we love Him? Is He the one we're after in this life? Because He's the one we're after for all eternity to come. Let's pray one more time together. Father, we love You. Father, we thank You for Your love for us. Father, we, we know that our salvation is based upon faith. That we make a decision to place our faith in You for our salvation. And you promised to give us the Holy Spirit and to take our heart of stone and to give us a heart of flesh. So, Father, I pray to give us new hearts. Give us soft hearts. Hearts that we grow more in love with you every day. And that we have love for each other. That we have love for the people around us. Because that's what you ask. We love you, Father. We thank you that you didn't make it to where we have to jump through hoops but that you made it so that we could just come to you from our heart. The thief on the cross that died right beside you, Jesus. He had no chance to live a good life. He had no chance to come down and be baptized. He had no chance to make his wrongs right. And he had plenty of wrongs. He was being crucified for them. But he gave his heart to you, and you said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Your love extends to us even in the last moment of our life, but none of us are promised another moment. None of us are promised another day. Some of us will be lucky to know that we're going to die and, and, and just to try to make the most of our time we have left, but the majority of us will go out and never see it coming. That's why it's so important that we make today the day. That, we, that you have said today is the day of salvation. That we decide today is the day. That I will fully commit my life to you. 
in love to live my life for you for as long as you give me. Father, we love you and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.